Thanks, Jared. What a privilege it is to be here today, to open God's Word together. Speaking of that, grab your Bibles and open them up. Acts chapter 11. Christians. I actually learned something new. I had heard something different about how we got our name Christians, but of what I'll share this morning surprised me a little bit, but you're just going to have to hang in there. We're not there yet. So let's jump right in. Acts 11, starting with verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea, they heard that the Gentiles, okay, and this really threw them for a loop, that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up from Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, well, they contended with him, saying, you went into an uncircumcised men and you ate with them? So, check your notes. First note. To Jews living in biblical times, the world population was divided into two groups. There were Jews, they were God's people, chosen. And then everyone else, Gentiles. So these first Christians that we've been learning about in the book of Acts, well, they were all Jews. They had been circumcised according to the covenant that Abraham had been given. They were living under Jewish law. But they also accepted Jesus as their Messiah. So they opened their hearts to Jesus. But for most of them, first and foremost, they were Jews. Those of the circumcision, well, they were Jews, and they thought Peter's actions were blasphemous. He's ignoring 2,000 years of tradition. He's ignoring solid Bible teaching. And he's running roughshod over everything that we count as holy as God's people, as Jews who have accepted Jesus as Messiah. Well, let's look at a couple of verses real quick to see where they were coming from. Genesis 17.10 uh, and verse 14. To Abraham, over 2,000 years earlier, this is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Not might keep, not should keep, must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. And then look at Exodus 31, verses 16 and 17, given to Moses 1,300 years earlier. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day, by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for how long? All time. You can see why they were wrestling with this. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. So, there were some very angry Jews 
back in Jerusalem. And they called Peter back to headquarters and, and they say, Peter, you're going to answer for what you've done. We can't believe the, the, those of the circumcision. They started contending with him. The lexicon says that they had a hostile spirit, that they were striving and disputing with Peter. And so they're talking to Peter, you know God's word, you know the tradition, you know where God's uh, loved people. And so Peter, without a single Gentile getting circumcised or hearing a lesson on Sabbath keeping or conducting a reading of the law or offering a simple sacrifice, you're saying God saved these Gentiles and accepted them as his children by faith alone in Jesus alone? You see, for centuries, a child of Abraham, he had to be circumcised. He had to keep Moses' law. It was blasphemy to think that you could just stop worrying about those things that they had held for 2,000 years. They were shocked. They were bewildered. They were stunned. They were very angry. Verse 4. Acts 11, verse 4. But Peter explained to them. Remember, he's standing up in front. He's back at headquarters. He's standing in front of those of the circumcision and all of the Jewish believers in Jesus. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, oh, verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision all of a sudden, God began to speak to me and he carried me into a place where he personally was speaking with me. And I saw an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. Verse 6, when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, all kinds of unclean stuff pigs in a blanket, you name it. I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill, enjoy, eat, gobble it down. Oh, I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. By the way, it's never a good thing to say no to the Lord. Well, Peter admits, I was just as troubled as you are. I, I couldn't believe what God was showing me. I had the same reservations. I said no. I tried to say, not going to happen. I thought maybe it was a test. And I, I said no so I could pass the test. But no, it wasn't a test. It was for real. And the voice answered, verse 9, the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you must not call unclean. What God has cleansed, you must not call unclean. I thought about that. When did that happen? Well, it was when Jesus, God the Son, was speaking to the disciples and, 
and they were talking about what makes a man unclean. And Jesus says, it's not what enters a man that makes him unclean. It's not the food. It's what comes out of his heart. It's the evil that's in his heart that makes him unclean. See? And so that was when Jesus pronounced, I'm here for the whole world. When I die on the cross, I take care of the uncleanness. And the disciples were beginning to get it at that time. But that's what Peter is saying here, what God has cleansed, you must not call unclean. So, ignoring the dietary laws, <clears throat> it wasn't Peter's idea, it was God's command. God changed the rules, not Peter. Peter's standing in front of him, I didn't change the rules. God changed the rules. God said it was okay to eat bacon and put sausage on my pizza. And, and I've enjoyed it. And he said three times to hammer it home. Look at verse 10. Now this was done three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. So Peter's standing there going, Whoa, that's the craziest thing that I've ever seen. And then there was a knock on the door. 2,000 years conditioned the Jews that everything had to do with being clean or unclean. You had to, to do what God said to be considered clean. And if you didn't, it was unclean. It was a grid that governed food and people and days and their houses and times of month and skin conditions. You name it. It was God's laws that made it clean or unclean. Everything in life was either, either holy or unholy, clean or unclean. But here's the deal. The cross of Jesus Christ cleared away this distinction for all eternity. What God desired or designed the law to do was look at your notes, number two, what God desired to do was show that the law would prove that we're all unclean and we need a Savior. What decides our status with God now is our relationship with Jesus by faith alone, in Jesus alone. Only the cross of Jesus Christ can make this sinner clean, can make anyone clean for all eternity. The cross of Jesus and the resurrection from the dead when Jesus walked among us again and then ascended up into heaven and who is now alive, seated at the right hand of God. It's His power, His majesty, His gift of eternal life on the cross of Calvary that makes us clean. So, Peter knows this. And he's continuing his defense. Realize, he's on trial. And they say he's committing blasphemy. He could lose his life with that punch that he's standing in front of. Verse 11. At that very moment, Peter goes on, three men stood before the house, knocking on the door, where I was. And they've been sent to me from... Caesarea. Let me tell you, God's working on me and God's working on Gentiles at the same time. 
And then the Spirit told me, go with them. Don't doubt anything. Trust me. Jesus is saying to Peter, put all of your trust in me. Up here, he didn't get it yet. He didn't understand. But down here, he goes, okay, Jesus, I'll trust you. I'll follow you anywhere. I love Peter's heart, don't you? Okay. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. I'll stop there in the middle of that verse. Six brethren, what was that all about? Well, Peter was really full of wisdom at this point. He says, I'm not going here alone. (laughs) I'm going to take some witnesses. If this is really God doing this a new work, and I believe it is, I think I'm going to need some backup on this one. So he's called to the house of a Gentile. He took six devout Jews with him who were questioning all of this along with him. Really, Peter? Tell me, tell us again what you saw. Tell us again what God said. <clears throat> what God has cleansed. Don't call unclean. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. But God was doing this. Hey, you guys, it wasn't my idea. It was Jesus himself. He's reaching out in love to these Gentiles that he sent an angel to talk to. And then the Gentiles sent sent two guys to come and get me. And so this is what's happening. I was just following Jesus. Okay? And so we end with verse 12. We close with verse 12. And so I entered this man's house. I went into a Gentile's house because Jesus went before me and I was just following him. And he, verse 13, the Roman centurion, Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, and he will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Oh, the word of God, the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the very word of Christ. Wow. And Peter says, as I begin to speak, he says, this was, by the way, just the introduction. (laughs) Kind of like Pastor Lee. He had a lot more to say. And It was hard for him. It was crazy that God didn't want him to give the whole sermon. He says, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed, when we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and we opened our hearts and he came into our lives and we were filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit as a sign, who was I that I should withstand God? Implication, who are you that you should withstand God? Are you paying attention? 
Don't blame me, Peter says. I didn't make this happen. I was just waiting for lunch when I saw the vision and God visited me on that rooftop. And then these guys showed up at my gate and they said, God has sent us. An angel appeared to Cornelius and now we're here. And he says, you're supposed to come and tell us words that thereby we'll be saved. And I go, whoa, that's what this is all about. And then I was just beginning my message. I taught about Jesus. I taught about the cross. I taught how he was resurrected the third day. And I was just ready to get into all the gospel stuff that Jesus did. And before I could even do it, they all opened their hearts. They received Jesus as their Savior. The Holy Spirit came down and interrupted my message. (laughs) How about that? See, it, it, it wasn't me. It was God's work. I just got to be a part of what God was doing. And God vindicated the word about His Son when the Holy Spirit came down upon those Gentiles and vindicated His word. The sign of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't my idea. So back off. (laughs) So when they heard these things, verse 18... They backed off. The circumcision bunch did. They became silent. Whoa! Kind of an awkward moment for them. Whoa, I never thought God would do anything like that. But most of them, and they, glorified God. Whoa, isn't this amazing what God is doing? That God has granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. Eternal life. Life that has meaning and purpose. Wow, by faith. And faith alone in Jesus. It became obvious to the church at that time that Pastor Peter was being directed by God and God's work and God's Holy Spirit came down upon these Gentiles just as he had done upon them. And those of the circumcision... They were muted. They were stopped in their tracks. They were overruled for the moment. But just like Arnold, they said, we'll be back. (laughs) And they will keep bugging and bothering and literally in the future will come after this Saul that we're going to learn about next, later. But before we leave this story, Just kind of a note that I want to mention. So this is two times in a row that this story has been told in the book of Acts, both verse 10 and verse 11. Uh, Dr. Luke only had so much room. He, He didn't have a computer that had gigabytes of room. He had a scroll, and the scrolls needed to be as concise and to the point as possible. And he included this account literally twice in a row. 2,000 years of Jewish law and tradition. It was being changed in an instant. And Dr. Luke knew that he was writing about something that was incredibly important. And it was no trivial matter. 
and he repeated this. You see, this, is, this was God's ultimate breakthrough in the history of mankind's redemption. And as I thought about this, I thought about Jesus himself as he was speaking to Nicodemus and how Jesus gave these words to Nicodemus. Remember what he said, John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him, Jew or Gentile, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let that sink in. You see, Jesus was headed ultimately for the cross. He knew that. He knew that that's why he came to this earth. He knew that he would become sin for me, for all mankind. He would bear our sin on the cross of Calvary that we might be forgiven forever. For God so loved the world, all mankind. This is an incredible breakthrough. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution... So now we're moving forward. They've they've gotten excited about Peter and what he's done. Circumcision has been silenced. Now they're moving forward. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but and this is interesting, Jews only, until Peter comes along and things begin to change. This makes us appreciate Peter's step of faith. He went where no Jew had ever gone before. Peter cut a trail where there was no trail. There were... Few Jews willing to follow Jesus like Peter did and take the gospel to Gentiles. Peter's courageous in his willingness to follow Jesus because Peter again stood tall. Look at your notes, verse 3. God's Gentile Pentecost, as Peter followed Jesus, has thrown open the doors for God's grace to be freely shared with all mankind. For God so loved the world. Oh, may we never forget that. Hang on to your hats. God's grace is being let loose. He's on the move. Verse 20, And some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, They spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. I'm thinking that these were guys who had heard what Peter did. It gave them courage. Yeah, remember Hellenists are Jews who have completely set aside the old Jewish traditions and ways 
and they've adopted Greek culture and language. They don't, they're Jews, but they don't live like Jews. They're Jews in name only. They live like Gentiles. They have a, some family that are Jews, but they're pretty much Gentiles. Peter's courageous stand, I'm thinking, open the floodgates. God's grace is beginning to break through. These other Jews are going, well, hey, if, if this is what Jesus wants and he did it through Peter, I wonder, I wonder. So centuries of prejudice and hatred of unclean Gentiles was broken down. And Jesus' love was now breaking through. And he's filling Gentile hearts. Look at what is happening. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Barnabas! Go see what's going on. So Antioch is the capital of Syria. It's a city, of course, near or on the Mediterranean coast. It's 300 miles north of Jerusalem. After Rome and Alexandria, it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Antioch's population topped a half million people filled to overflowing with Gentiles. Antioch, in God's providence, was a key hub. It was a perfect place to launch an outreach to the Gentile world. Imagine that. Imagine God putting all this together, all these divine appointments. I love divine appointments when God allows us to be part of those. So as we move on in the book of Acts, we'll find that the church that started in Antioch became the beachhead for Christianity spread to the then known world and then throughout the whole earth that we're a part of today. Obviously, the Jerusalem church realized something big is happening here and that's why we are going to send Barnabas to find out this is an outbreak of God's grace. And when he, verse 23, when Barnabas came and he had seen the grace of God and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness and the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and when he had seen that there were a whole bunch of Gentiles that had opened their hearts to Jesus. Look at what it says. He was glad. He was glad. Glad. We'll stop in the middle of that verse. Your notes. I love this phrase. He was glad. It's in contrast to those of the circumcision. For legalism makes people sour. Like trying to eat lemon. Just makes you sour. But Barnabas, look at that. He was overjoyed. He was glad. Think about it. He realized the unmerited, undeserved, unearned grace of God was being poured out upon Gentiles. God's grace always produces great 
gladness. I like that. I like that a lot. So we go on with verse 23. And he encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. Now, Barnabas didn't exhort these Gentiles to continue or get into the law. No, continue with Jesus. He didn't lay down rules and trips on them. He says, no, continue with the Lord Jesus. Enjoy Him. Get to know Him. Hang on to Him. Abide with Him with purpose of heart. You've made up your mind to follow Jesus. Now whatever happens, don't let go. Hang on to Jesus. So, next, Dr. Luke lets us know that God sure sent the right man. Look at verse 24. This is about Barnabas. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord as Barnabas begins to minister and see the grace of God just expand in circle after circle after circle. By the way, this is a good verse that helps the church, us, know how to look for good men and women in places of leadership. Look for a good man, a good woman, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. Wherever Jesus leads, I'm there. I'm going to follow him. So that's what we look for, for leadership. But practically speaking, think about this. Barnabas is one guy. There's literally hundreds of new believers, and they're all Gentiles, pagans. They've got no background in the Word of God at all, and they're being added to the church, and they're wanting to learn about Jesus. Tell us more about Him. Tell us, and you know, let's go through the Gospels together. We want to know all about Jesus. We just can't get enough. I can't do this alone, Barnabas is thinking. I can't disciple all of these alone. I can't teach all these alone. I need help. Who in the world would even be willing to come to this place that's so far away from Jerusalem with me to work with these Gentiles? It was about two years ago as I turned... Uh, celebrated gloriously my 70th birthday. I'm 70. I had to start thinking about the future and what God wanted for you precious people. And I began to pray about that. And I announced I'm going to have to go part-time because as a church we need to find the future. And it's not me. And so I began to pray. And I was reminded by the spirit of this young man that called me and says, God's putting it on my heart to go plant a church. What do you think? And his parents and his grandpa, they were really worried. What's he thinking, leaving a a 
position. It's a great place for him to be. And he's a youth pastor and he's doing great. And now he wants to take his young family and go off and plant a church out in the middle of Erie, Pennsylvania? What's he thinking? And so I was talking with him, and the more I talked, the more my heart just began to overflow. He says, God, Jesus is putting this on my heart, and I'm willing to follow him. And I go, well, do you know what the cost might be? Yeah, I know what the cost is. If I have to, to work and can't be paid by the church, it doesn't matter. This is where Jesus wants me to be. And I go, wow, I like that young man. He's crazy. <laughs> Boy, does he love the Lord. So, a couple years later, God's beginning to really do a work in my heart. It's time for a change. Who in the world would be willing to come to Willow? I mean, who's crazy like me? Oh, Jared, you're a crazy man. And I called him, and God had worked on this end and worked on that end, and, well, the rest is kind of history now. It's incredible how God works. And by the way, he is a crazy man, and I love it. He's... He's going to follow Jesus wherever he leads. And I'm so excited about what God's doing here. But back to Barnabas. So Barnabas is going, I don't know who'd be crazy enough to follow me to this place. And then he goes, oh yeah, that guy that I met eight years ago. Damascus and Jerusalem was never the same after that guy was there. In fact, All Jerusalem was so turned upside down, they were going to put this guy to death. And he confounded the Jews, proving that Jesus is the Christ. He was fearless preaching Jesus. We had to send him home to Tarsus so to save his life and to bring peace back to Jerusalem. This guy is a guy that Jesus has personally called, Acts 9.15, to bear my name before Gentiles. Oh, it's all coming back to me now. Saul. Yep, Saul's just a guy to help me deal with these Gentiles. Then, verse 25, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and they taught and they discipled and they loved and they helped and they encouraged and they lived their life among them and they began to teach them. It's not just us that are ministers. Did you know that we're all ministers? Really? Yeah. Jesus wants to fill you to overflowing with his love. And you can be just as involved in his work as we are. And it took hold. And lives begin to be changed. And the church in Antioch began to grow. And they taught a great many people. 
And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And we'll get back to that pretty quick. But why were they called Christians? Because as they learned more about Jesus with all their heart, they wanted to be like him and they wanted to follow him. On your notes, number five, before Antioch, followers of Jesus went by different names, believers, disciples, receivers of the word, servants, people of the way, to list a few. But they were first called Christians at Antioch. I ran across a list of names to see if you might recognize who they are. They're famous people, but they changed their name because they wanted to be more sophisticated and accepted and stylish by the name that they wanted to become known by. Do you know who Robert Zimmerman became? Bob Dylan. Okay. You probably might know this one. Marion Morrison. John Wayne. How about Henry John Dutchendorf, Jr.? She knows, because his family was from Corn, Oklahoma. Okay. How about Esther Danielovich? A clue. Izzy Dempsey. Come on, you guys. You all know him. Kirk Douglas. True story. I looked it up just to make sure. Believers in Antioch, they chose to keep the derogatory name of Christian. How so? The I-A-N on Christian was how the Romans referred to their slaves. I didn't know this. Like Claudius, his slaves were known as Claudians. And Antony, his slaves were Antonians. The suffix I-A-N means belonging to someone, being owned by someone. Christian means being owned or purchased by Christ himself. Yet these Christians were honored to be known as slaves of Christ. That's how the gospel impacted their lives. That's who I am. I belong to Jesus. He's my life. And the word of their following Jesus spread out through the whole community. They just couldn't hold it inside. The love of Christ began to just overflow through their lives. And they were known as Christians. And in these days, verse 27, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus. We'll see him later in Acts 21, he stood up, he showed that by the Spirit there's going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which, which would happen, and it happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Josephus mentions in his history, history um, the famine, but here's, here is a prophet that came from Jerusalem, and what was happening, the, the famine had already started, and those that were being hit the hardest were the Christian Jews who were being persecuted 
and many of them even run out of town, and some of them being put to death, Stephen being the first one. And he's saying, it's just starting, it's going to get worse. How, how will these Gentile Christians respond to these Jews who are now hurting? In the past, remember the Jewish mentality is very cold and condescending, we won't even go into a Gentile's home and we certainly won't eat with them. They're unclean. Had Christ really changed their hearts so radically? Was Christ big enough to bridge this cultural gap that had survived for thousands of years? You bet. Look at their response. 29. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, were talking about Gentiles determined to send relief to the Jewish brethren that are dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Worship team, come on up as we wrap this up. Remember Saul? We saw him breathing murderous threats against the Christians in Jerusalem. We saw him chasing these Christians, Jewish Christians, out into the far corners to bring them back and imprison them and put them to death. Here's this Saul, who at one time was literally murdering these Christian brothers. How wonderful it is to see that now by his own hand he's coming back with the love of Jesus Christ. Filled with these Gentile gifts to these Jewish believers. This is an amazing picture. It's the love of Jesus that really makes a difference in our hearts. Look at your last note. You see, this is Christianity. This is being a Christian. To belong to Jesus to such an extent that our lives are radically changed and filled to overflowing with His love. Get ready to worship Him. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do we deserve to be called Christians? Jesus, help us be like these early believers who with abandon followed you were just overjoyed that their world saw you in their lives. And they go, Christian, belong to Christ, a slave of Christ. Oh, man, that's a good name. That's what I choose to be. With all my heart, I want to follow Jesus like I never have before. Amen? Amen. Let's worship him.
Stand with me. Boy, have I got news. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Wow. Wow. Just blows me away. How about you? Have a great day.